At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Gaz C. Scales. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now, you're an editor, a film editor, that is, and yes. um, we've come to talk about a film you worked on called After Love, directed by and written by Aleem Khan. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, do you want to maybe talk about generally speaking, what, what you see the role of an editor is on a film? That's a very good question. I think it's to translate what the director wants, but make it more than the director expects, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think you sit down. I always use this as an analogy, and I, I it's not quite an answer to your question, but basically I, something I like about sitting with a director is say the director has it's kind of like painting. Say the director wants me to paint a sunset for them. Mm -hmm. And me growing up in Vancouver, my sunsets are very full of blue and mountains and ocean. And with a director who say grew up here, their sunsets are very brown and orangey and, you know, full of beautiful buildings on the Thames. But together we can make a better sunset and the mountain and the mountains and the ocean can be a combination of the beautiful buildings and the orange and everything else. And it all kind of gets into a pot and it becomes very collaborative And out of that comes something better than either of us really really would have expected. And I think that's kind of the the role of the editor is to translate what the director wants in a way that pushes the film to something that is better than anyone could have done by themselves. So does that mean the process starts with a lot of questions rather than a lot of of showing what have we got with the footage? Yeah, I, for me, I'm always I'm a fan of of uh, getting this getting the film to a place where the director sees what they originally wanted to create, mm-hmm. and then um, saying, "Okay, well, what if we did this?" Um, and then just kind of using that as a jumping off point. Um, for instance, on After Love, um, and this is going to be this podcast is going to be full of spoilers. Yeah, yeah, we should probably say that as we t- it is it's it's unavoidable. I've I've done. I've done podcasts before with directors where I've not seen the film, so I know I can't spoil it. And it's sort of then on the, but with editing, obviously we are going to be spoiling it. So yeah, you're right. It's right to flag that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so on, on this one, um, the first time Aleem and I sat down after watching it, we had a chat about a couple of things uh, that I'm sure we'll get into. 
uh, that changes were made. And it was literally that was uh, we watched it and then went for lunch and we had those initial chats at lunchtime. Um, and and it's one of those things where I think the conversation starts as soon as they've seen the first cut. And then you slowly but surely get it into a place that they want it to be. And then you kind of jump into the water from there. And is that that first cut? Is that is that the the, the literally the assembly edit of what we've got? Or yeah, gen- yeah, basically. So the director, you know, will shoot. Uh, say that it's a five week shoot, and so I'll get those five weeks as they're shooting to whip something together, and then hopefully a few extra days or a week after that to mm. kind of polish it up. And then the director will come in and they'll watch it. Um, nine times out of 10, the director will kind of had, have their hands and face at the end and just be like, oh my God, what have we done? Um, and then it's like, no, no, it's great. It'll be great. Uh, and then you go for lunch and chat about it. Um, and that sort of begins the, yeah. That begins yeah, because there's that horrible, that horrible expression, isn't it? The, uh, the suicide quote, which is the idea of a director seeing the film, seeing what they've shot for the first time and going, oh no. You know, it's really funny. I heard an expression the other day that I'd never heard before. What's that? And it sort of rocked me to the core. This director I'm working with currently um, said, it's never as good as when you shot it. And it's always better than the first assembly. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> and that's as I was putting the first assembly together. And I felt really demoralized. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So no matter what I do here. I think there's a compliment in there somewhere. Yeah. Now, look, we should, I probably should say for those that maybe haven't seen it or to remind people that have, After Love set in a, the port town of Dover, Mary Hussein suddenly finds herself a widow following the unexpected death of her husband. A day after the burial, she discovers he has a secret just 21 miles away across the English Channel in Calais. Now, the unexpected death part of the husband is, in it. I think... I think is an important part of the journey of the film that I saw and the mm. film that you and Aleem saw when you first saw the assembly. So when you had that when you've had that first watch and you're having a chat about it, is the first is the first sort of discussions not not about making too dramatic a changes, or is it about possibilities are endless even at that stage? It depends on who the director is you're working with and okay. how much experience they have. Um, <clears throat> so I think when you work, and it also depends on the project that you're working on. So because Aleem wrote this, he very much had the idea of what the film would be in his head. Yeah. And then and then kind of we, we followed that map. Um, whereas sometimes if a director hasn't written it, they're kind of like, all right, just do whatever. Let's just kind of dive in and figure it all out. Um, and so it very much depends on on their where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the original question? So it's it's, it's that sense of how how well, well you've answered the question. To be honest with you, it was it was more about like it's you basically say it depends. My question was how how dramatic is the, the the sort of dive in once you've once you've got that assembly edit and you've watched it together, you've discussed it yeah. together, and is is that discu- so the discussion just depends is what you're saying. So in in your discussion with Aleem then. How did they evolve from what was the assembly edit to the finished film we've got now? Where does it where does it begin to change? Well, in, so interestingly, with this um, again, because Aleem had written it, um, we sort of made it into the film that he had written, and so we made sure that all the scenes were working in a way that he was satisfied with, and then we kind of watched it again, um, 
And we realized some stuff just wasn't working. And part of it was due to performance. Part of it was due to um, just the nature of filmmaking. Things change when you're shooting things and everything else. And one of the big things that we realized um, mm-hmm. early on was that the um, the husband character, um, there was about 20 minutes at the beginning of the film where he was very much alive. And it was all about them as a wedded couple and them um, being together and all this other stuff. And we sat down one day and we both sort of had a chat and sort of we were talking about what the film was about. And we were saying, you know, what what is this film about? It's about a woman whose husband dies. So why don't we try it where he dies in the first scene? (laughs) And so we lost 20 minutes off the top and we repurposed a lot of the footage. Um, For instance, when she's feeding the chickens, he's sitting next to her. Um, That's why you see two two coffee cups or two teacups there. Um, and we actually just painted him out, but left the teacup because we thought it was actually quite lovely that she still made him tea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and when she's going down to the uh, fairies to watch the fairies come in, she in the script is about to wave to him, and he's in one of the fairies, and she's waving madly at him and smiling. And if you look, she's about to smile in the cut where she's looking across at the fairies, but because she's doing it after the fact, it looks mildly mournful. Um, and then all the vacuuming that she's doing and everything else, she was doing it beforehand for him coming home from work. But now that we've done it after the fact, it looks like she's mournfully vacuuming and sort of just keeping up the same routines that she had before her husband died. Um, so it's amazing. It's the it's the Kuleshov effect, which is you change something from one thing to another. It's the same images, the same scene. Yet you move it to after something has happened instead of before, and it completely changes the meaning, which I just, I mean, it's one of my favorite things about editing. But also just the idea of just with that decision to bring the death of the husband forward, you've you've took 20 minutes out of the film, which sounds like a lot of film. And for, for those of us that watch, I mean, it's, I mean, read, reading that summary that's on IMDb, you know, suddenly finds herself a widow following the unexpected death of the husband. It's literally in before a word is spoken. He just yeah. dies. And you're like, yeah. this is a woman. The film is a woman in grief, isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it, you know, like that, that initial, that shot of going up the cliff cliffs, which I think is in the third scene. Hmm. Um, so we go from him dying to her mourning and then we go up the cliffs. That was the opening shot of the film. And it became the third scene in the film. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it it really kind of it kind of opened up a lot of options for us, mm. and it made us look at footage in a completely different way. And what it allowed us to do as well is it make a very silent performance from Joanna. So instead of, for instance, when she's feeding the chickens, there is a whole scene there where her husband's telling him telling her, sorry, that he has to go uh, across to uh, Calais for a number of days and blah 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 and this and that and you know we know that he's actually fibbing because he's having an affair, mm. but it's one of those things where because we didn't have that scene, it's now her just silently feeding the chickens. And Joanna Scallon is so good that her performance comes across incredibly with her saying absolutely nothing. And it just afforded us to have all these scenes where there's not much said, which is pretty incredible. And is, the, is there a, how much of that process then obviously you, you've, you, it sounds like part of your job then is about building confidence that this can be done with what you've got because it feels mm. like a dramatic move because when you you make this true to script version 
you know, you've followed the, you know, the script's been written, you've, you've put it together and you've edited it down based on what the screenplay told you to do. And then you start playing around with elements of the script. Obviously that has, must have a knock on, much in the same way that if I do a rewrite, there are knock on, there are causes and effects when I move things around. Did, did, was there any of that going on with, with this? Not just like the idea that some of the scenes you wanted to use still had the fella in who was supposed to be dead, but just, just in terms of how it created balance, imbalance elsewhere you had to correct. Not really. Interestingly, it had this very positive effect of making him much more enigmatic than Mm. in real life. Because the idea of someone is always more, is always going to be far more interesting than actually seeing them. Um, So making him sort of this ethereal kind of person that we hear a voice of and that we see a picture of versus actually seeing the actor made him much more believable in terms of him being able to pull off this affair and everything else. Um, And that was a very interesting knock-on effect because we didn't realize at the time that that's one of the things that it would do. And it just made him as a character much more compelling. Paradoxically, by removing him, he became much more a compelling character. I was just going to say, it's a bit like Rebecca then, isn't it? It, it, You know, the way that Rebecca is, is the ghost of the story of her. Yeah. You know, she's never, she's not really in the film, but her presence is felt throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's something I was just going to say, something that we did that was actually kind of cool is, again, with the repurposing is uh, the scene, when they come, the opening scene, um, if you'll remember, they come home and they're talking about the um, Muslim equivalent of a baby Christian. Yeah. Uh, they're shaving the baby's head. That scene, we ended up repurposing and moving it to much later in the film. And so it's after she's come back from Calais, after she's processed her husband dying, after she's met Genevieve and everything else. And she goes, she goes to the ceremony. Um, and uh, it kind of reaffirms her faith. And it reaffirms the fact that we, she's going to be a part of this, this community still. She's very mm-hmm. much a part of this world. And that world is still going to be a part of her. And it's funny because if you know what you're looking at, you can actually see her husband in the background in a few shots. Mm. Um, and his knee is very much featured in one of the shots. But because it was just slightly framed out and because of the coverage we chose, we were able to pull off the scene, which was brilliant because it, it just said something more than I think it would have been at the beginning of the film. At the beginning of the film, it would have been an introduction to the culture. Whereas at the end of the film, we see the culture through her. And we understand that she's going to re- remain part of this culture, which is much more impactful. Yeah, no, it's 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 a, such a high note to end on, given given the film we've been through, as it were, which is a grief plus betrayal. That was that's obviously a major step. What what other elements that were that were in there that you ended up talking with Elim about and deciding that either they weren't needed or they could go somewhere else. What other, what other dramatic changes did you make to that, that scripted, the sort of script cut as it were? Yeah. The, the other massive, massive change was that there was a, a subplot where uh, Mary meets uh, a refugee um, when she's in the water and she's kind of uh, in the water and sort of cleansing herself after meeting Solomon, a refugee in the script and in the film initially, a refugee comes up and pulls her out of the water because he thinks she's drowning. And um, and then she sort of develops this relationship with the refugee and she goes to the jungle 
in Calais and talks to him about faith. And he's, he's Christian and she's Muslim and she talks about what is faith and what is adherence to faith and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, all of the scenes were lovely. And the actor who played the refugee was incredible, but it just didn't fit in the film. And at the end of the day, we realized that we could pull that entire subplot out and it didn't affect what the film was about. And we realized too that if the film hadn't been set in Calais, those scenes probably wouldn't be in. And it was it was a shame because I think making a film in Calais, you know, and not seeing the jungle is tough and everything else. And that was a real struggle for us to remove it in terms of what we wanted to say in the film. Mm. But at the same time, literally just cutting those scenes out and playing it, you realize that the film just became that much better. And it became so much more succinct. Um, and something we realized in the making of the film which is really quite fascinating, is on the page, the film was about Mary and Genevieve and their relationship to each other. Whereas mm. as the film came about, you realized it was actually about Mary and Solomon. And he became the male. And I think part of, part of cutting out Ahmed at the beginning was he became the male figure in the film. And he became the one that everything is surrounded. Uh, everything is surrounding. And because of because all of that, and because he started bubbling up, it just made everything else just kind of distill and wash away. And so we just started really focusing on making it more about Solomon and her relationship with Solomon. When you say we focused on it, I mean, obviously you're still limited to what's been shot and what was shot was not to tell that story. So how do you begin to sort of pull that off, as it were? What, 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 what process do you go through with, with, the, with the, what's been captured already? So a really good example of that is um, when she sees Solomon for the first time, um, she um, comes out the door, she comes out the bathroom door and mm. she sees this boy at the top of the stairs and he's like, Ugh, who are you? Goes into the door, goes into his door and then shows the door. She comes in the original script and in the original film, she came back into the bathroom and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe my husband's had a son and oh my God, this is unbelievable. And then Genevieve calls her out and says, oh, Mary, um, I've got to go. Um, do you mind doing this? Um, do you mind doing something for me? Uh, or I'll, I'll see you next week and blah, blah, blah. Here's the keys, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then yeah, she yeah, yeah. leaves. And what we ended up doing was keeping her trapped outside the door so that Solomon come, Sol she walks out, sees Solomon. And instead of going back in, she's trapped. And so Genevieve comes, she's like, oh, hey, Mary. And she's now looking at him and looking at her. And it's just that extra dynamic where she's still thinking about him the entire mm. time. And she doesn't go back into the bathroom. And so she stays outside of the bathroom and she's completely trapped. And then Genevieve says her thing, leaves the keys and then goes. And then Mary steps back into the bathroom. And at that point, mm. she sort of collapses and breathes. And then we cut to the water and she's in the water. Um, and as scripted course, and, original, yes, yes. and so she's now still thinking about Solomon. So it keeps her thinking about Solomon. Whereas in the original assembly, uh, the scene was that Solomon had gone into the bedroom. Genevieve leaves the keys. Mary's follows her down. Um, and then actually bumps into the cleaner that had actually been hired by the agency. And then basically tries to fool her and say, Oh, you're not, you're not needed here anymore. And that cleaner goes off in a huff. And so it was just removing all that kind of stuff and keeping her focus on Solomon 
and then tying her focus yeah. and her her emotion to Solomon. So every time there is we see Solomon, we try to have a, an emotional reaction to it. Yeah, because because the flip flop the film does is obviously you've got you've got a woman discovering a, her dead husband had this secret life, and then she herself lives a secret life, and 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 it, obviously not by it wasn't by design at first, but then it becomes very much by design, and obviously the discover the discovery of the son, and I think this is where you where where, where you what your point you were making before about how having the death of the husband happen so early is that he just becomes a presence and therefore he is Genevieve's son and he is the son that that uh, that Mary never had so he becomes the he becomes this kind of almost like magnet for the two of them like uh, yeah yeah like he 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 becomes the thing that everything is is about the focus and it's really fascinating as i said because on the page you read it about um, it was all about Genevieve. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mary and their relationship. Mm. And really it's about her and Solomon's relationship. And we yeah. actually ended up cutting. There was a big scene. We it's we call it the cigarette scene. It's the scene where she goes outside and has a cigarette with Genevieve. Mm. Um, and and it's just like, have you always um uh did you convert when you got married? That's the big line. And she's yeah. did you convert when you got married? And she's as uh, she's putting on a headscarf. That scene was so difficult to edit. It's just one of those scenes where like everything about it was just tough. Like it was a tough thing to shoot because it was a really enclosed space. It was a tough thing to edit. A lot of continuity was uh, off because of headscarf issues and because of um, wind and all sorts of stuff and sounds or someone on a scooter outside. It was, it was just a problematic scene, but it was a really big bonding scene between Mary and Genevieve. Um, and so we kept it in, we kept it in, we kept it in. And then one day, one of the exec producers said, why don't you just try losing it or losing as much as possible? So it just becomes about her putting on the headscarf and Genevieve saying, did you convert when you got married? And doing that may, distilled the scene to a point where it was just about that one thing. And just about Mary saying, I did something that for my husband that no one else could, and then walks away. And what that did was lose the Mary and Genevieve relationship but it focused it on what mary thought was she had done for her husband and i think stuff like that where we pulled away those kind of those kinds of scenes with genevieve and focused the longer scenes on solomon again played into making solomon more of a rounded character and bringing him up to the forefront when you and aleem are watching this 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 footage over and over mm-hmm. again i'm fast i mean i asked i asked this about like people who 
who see a lot of films, like how do you keep your mind fresh as to what's good and what's not good? But when you're watching the same film over and over again, how do you maintain that sort of distance as an audience member to the material as well as sort of making the film that you're planning to make? How, how, do, you, how do you both keep a fresh pair of eyes, I suppose? Well, I think by the time you go through a film, you've made something different. So you watch it with a different eye. So you watch it and go, I'm like, oh yeah, I cut that out. Oh yeah, we lost, we lost that. Oh yeah, that's changed and we extended that. So you're mm-hmm. sort of, it's always a little bit fresh. Um, but I think too, something that I always love doing, um, especially with films, is watching it with an audience. So you watch it with people who have never seen the film before um, and haven't and weren't involved in the film whatsoever. Um, and it's incredible what people will say. And, you know, like, say, cutting the refugee sequence out, we watched that and tested that with a bunch of people. And people had no idea that we'd cut that, those huge sections out. Um, so to know that that kind of stuff works is just great. And you're like, okay, cool, we're, we're on the right track. And this is, this is really cool. Mm. Um, and what Aline did, which was really, really cool, is he brought in a bunch of um, people from, like, who were Muslim. And it was fascinating to me because I'm, you know, for me, I'm not watching it with, obviously, with a religious sense in that terms. Um, Yeah. And for him to be watching, uh, sorry, for us to watch the film with that audience was completely eye-opening to me. Because there are so many different things that people were reacting to um, that I hadn't really picked up on. And something that blew me away was the scene where they're watching, she's watching the TV and it's old video footage of them and he's drinking a beer. And to me, it's like, okay, well, he's drinking a beer and he's being a little, you know, unfaithful. Um, but, you know, who cares? Whereas people literally mm. gasped. Like in the audience, people are like, oh, wow. And it's just like, oh, that's, you know, I knew it was a big thing, but I didn't know it was a big thing. And just, and so it was like, and we went back into the, into the, edit and we made sure that we really clocked that beer and we kind of extended that scene a little bit. Um, so all those kind of things. So different audience, people who aren't filmmakers and all that kind of stuff just keeps it fresh. It's funny. Sometimes when I'm doing a cut, I want to see it from a different angle. So I'll literally walk across the room and watch the TV from like a very different funny position where I'm not sitting in front of it. I'll just kind of walk to another part of the room and watch it from a standing position just to try to see the cut differently. Is that, so that's literally a trick, a trick of the trade, as it were? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's a trick for it that I do. I think I just, it's just to try to get it, try to see it in a different perspective. You know what I mean? As a writer, you know, you, you, you're writing on a computer all the time and it's hard sometimes to see the wood for the trees. Yeah. So what you do is you come off the computer and you translate what you've got into physical cards, you stick them on a corkboard and suddenly you're seeing, you're able to see it differently than if you're looking at a Word document or a final draft document, yeah. or you start writing a mind map on a whiteboard. Yeah. And all the time you're just trying to see the same thing, but spot the weaknesses or spot the strengths. That's really interesting. It's funny because something I find I'm not very strong on is reading a script. Like I can, I read a script and I'll like it. And of course I'll, in my head, I'll be like, well, maybe we could cut that, but who knows? And who knows how it'll play. Mm. Once I see it, in order and once i once i'm working with the footage and everything else i know exactly or well i feel what what should mm. change or what could change but it's only when it's in that form and i wonder if i were to do that if i were to write this scenes out 
and put them on a put them on a wall, I might be able to see it differently. That's a really cool idea. Actually, mm. I've never really thought about doing that, but because sometimes you'll be heading into production and the director will be like, "Hey, the producers have said we've just lost two days. Are there any scenes you think we can cut?" And I, I always say, "Like, don't cut anything. We'll cut it. We'll cut it in post." But you know, it's always nice to have everything. Um, so I'm always mm. a bit paranoid about making that call, but. Yeah, I think in the future I'll try to like make cards just to have the scenes in a row and just be like, well, do we need that? You know, that's cool. Well, it's it's it's, it's because you're deconstructing something that's already been built because mm. the screenplay has been. You, know, you can argue the screenplay has been mm. built, but to be able to see a screenplay is very difficult. Yeah, and having it in on fifty, sixty cards is often a way. Yeah. you've talked through sort of a lot of dramatic changes you made, but what what was the sort of most difficult, both, both sort of the emotional attachment to what was what was intended by the writer director versus you know the sort of the what was what obviously seemed best for the film. Uh, easily was the um, refugee sequence. Um, it was real um, for a number of reasons. One, um, it was a very beautiful and incredibly integral part of the film, um, but it was part of a film that had was the written film and not necessarily the film that we had made. Um, mm. Two, it was an entire week's worth of shooting uh, with the most expensive set, um, which was the jungle. And to lose that as a director uh, is really hard. And certainly as a first time director to realize mm. that the film could be very different without an entire week's worth of shooting is an incredible achievement. And something that blew me away about Aline. I don't think a lot of first-time directors would be able to realize that if they just cut one massive sequence, the film possibly might be better. Um, and it was a long process to get there. Um, we talked about it a lot and we sort of whittled it down at one point. At one point we sort of had it sort of in and out, but not really. Um, and then one day Aline just came in and he went, okay, let's watch it without the refugee sequence. And, uh, wow. and I said, okay, give me 10 minutes. And I just literally just cut every single sequence part out that he was in, that the mm. refugee was in. And then we just watched it strung together and uh, we just realized it worked. And ultimately it, you know, I'm a big fan. Um, it's interesting. Your first question about what does an editor do with a director? I think what one of the most basic things an editor can do is distill a story. And you boil it down and you boil it down to be the absolute essence of the story. So nothing else is there. And obviously mm. there's films that are very complicated, like Dune or, you know, many, many other films. Um, but if you can just distill the story down to one thing, and certainly a small story like Afterlove, um, it becomes really successful. And once we've done that, once we've distilled those things, once we'd lost Ahmed and once we'd lost the refugee it became a story just about a woman in grief and everything else kind of fell by the wayside. And all of a sudden we realized we had something really special, which was really cool. It's a really taught drama, which is not normally what you associate with drama. You know, it's the way, the way it's ended up, it's borderline thriller because, because of the, the double, the double deceit that you give mm. us, which is she's got the, 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 the blow of, betrayal and grief happening to at the same time and then performs her own betrayal 
on a woman that believes that she's her cleaner when really she's like a a living spy trying to uncover the mysteries of her dead husband, yeah. which is a which is a mate. I mean, you know, wasn't certainly going into the film cold that 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 wasn't expected. But if you'd have taken us out of that house, you'd have released that tension. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but it's and 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 it's clear that all the all the drama is in the house. I, I think that's a really good point as well. Is that it? It got rid of that. It it gave us another space. And basically, the only two spaces that she has in Calais are her room, which is a very safe space, and that's where she you know has a bath and she looks at herself in the mirror and and everything else, or the house that she doesn't want to go to. And to mm. introduce a third space, again, it was just an overcomplication where it wasn't needed um mm. and and like you say it distilled the tension and it, and it took us away from that core emotion and ultimately it also took us away from solomon so it took time away from her building a relationship with solomon and, and all that kind of stuff and yeah because then then when you get to the when they do move house which obviously is the thing that's on the horizon mm. from the from the get-go you then get the the, the film gets to change step yeah. Everybody can tell the truth because you're in a new space, and it all all comes out in the wash, yeah. doesn't it? Literally, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's funny that that last sequence in the house where he she cooks him dinner, um, and then and then Jimmyev comes back. I never really kind of clocked what it meant until and this is going to sound funny, but uh, until lockdown and over lockdown, I've gotten mildly into cooking like I was never a cook before yeah. I mean I could cook before but now I had a tiny bit of time and I have two sons and so I've really enjoyed making dinner for them and now I enjoy making dinner and I kind of put love into it and mm. I'll do these little kind of scoops of rice and all these kind of things and I now understand what she was doing for him when she's making that dinner um, and she was kind of she was sort of saying I love you but she couldn't so she she made the dinner and it's just amazing how things like how I've seen things in the film post making it that have made me feel much more emotional about it. And I understand, I understand it more now having gone through, you know, the pandemic and lockdown and picking up on cooking and everything else, um, which has been cool. Cause it's, you know, you get lost in a film, I think as an editor and to see something so objectively now is really nice. That is amazing. Yeah. Cause I, that, that's kind of the bit that always sort of, amazes me about about Geddes' job is that you end up being so close to the film. And there's an element of, I guess there's an element of wanting to get it right for whoever, whoever right is in terms of the, the audience, of the, of the limited audience you have that get to say the job's finished mm-hmm. versus making the best film. And I guess sometimes on some films or TV shows, you don't always get the luxury of being able to, being able to edit the thing that you think is best because of all the decision makers in, yeah. in the process. That was something, again, that was amazing is that there was utter support for Aleem and whatever, whatever he wanted to do, um, everyone was on board and really believed in his vision, which was really cool. And it was awesome because it, it um, Aleem is such a strong filmmaker that to kind of have those people around him, but also be, mm-hmm. you know, very rigid and say, you know, we do think that this would be better. Have a try all that kind of stuff was great because creatively people really pushed us, but at the same time gave us a lot of creative space. And I think that mm. is ultimately how Afterlove ended up being so successful. No, it's encouraging to hear that, 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 that the best, the best story for the film is, is not 
limited to having to put everything in that you've shot yeah. because it costs money to shoot yeah. it. I mean, that's kind of a... I mean, it begs the question, doesn't it, that if if there was a process that could be done at script stage that, that could identify some of this. Yeah. But it sounds to me like until you started watching it, it wasn't obvious. And there is... there is It's hard. I mean, even people that read scripts, they're not... You can, I mean, I'll give you for instance. I, I've got, I've got a script being read by people at the moment, and the first two bits of feedback I got on it were very positive, but but tonally they read a different script each. Right. It was really interesting for me that just two different people, both screenwriters, but you know, coming from different different points of view, were able to tell me what was great about my script, but not talking about the same film right. and it was it was like oh my god so i've gone to a few other people to find out which film i've which film i've written because <laughs> i'm not entirely sure myself now um but it's it's so so but i think once you start seeing it once you start and, and obviously sound design and, and and score can then influence i guess are they are they are they part of your toolbox when you're editing the you can choose a scene that was meant to be this, but by changing the sound design or the score, you can make the scene into something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could always put sad music on something that's supposed to not be too sad and all of a sudden it's sad. Mm. I mean, a really good example is like, you know, or not having score. I mean, I think something that is really cool with um, Afterlove is the lack of score. And the first mm. big piece is when she gets on the ferry. And you know that there's been a change. So, you know, it opens up and there's all these things that happen. And then that first piece kicks in as she's she's looking. It's that long shot down the hallway and she's looking out the window. And um, I think there's something, there's a choice sort of about not putting score on things and underscoring things um, as much as there is a choice about scoring things. Um, I'm really fortunate. I'm, I'm really into sound design. Um, and uh, a lot of directors quite enjoy the sound design that I put on things. Um, we had this incredible sound designer, um, Joachim Sundström, who uh, worked with Aleem in Sweden. Um, and through lockdown, I wasn't able to get out there. Um, and it was such a pleasure to watch the film. I'd not seen the film with the score on it, nor the sound design, until it premiered at, uh, at the BFI. And it, of course, it had played festivals, but they were all virtual festivals. So it's not like I could have yeah, seen a screening yeah. of it. And then finally there was an in-person screening at the BFI at uh, the film festival. And I saw it there for the first time and I was blown away um, by Joachim's sound design and Chris Rowe's music. Um, and it was such a pleasure to see it because it completely it didn't change it, but it augmented it and made the scenes, it mm. made the scenes better that we, we, we'd been working on. And and Joachim's so good with changing soundscapes. So the soundscapes within, say, her um, her hotel room in Calais were very different than what we were working with. And um, to hear that come alive was just incredible. And he made it really, that space really uncomfortable, but also safe. There's a lot of scooters and stuff mm. inside. A lot of, it became a lot noisier, seagulls and all that kind of stuff. And it was great. It was brilliant. Okay, so so in that sense, the what we're hearing when we're in a room is 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 fabricated for for, for the for the atmosphere you want the room to be. Oh yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, Every, everything's a lie. <laughs> um, oh my god. Yeah, goodness. yeah. No, it's uh, yeah, um, yeah. We really kind of focused on that, and 
and made things quieter as well. So it made things a lot quieter yeah. in places and a lot louder in other places. And, it, and all that feeds subconsciously into how you're feeling about a space and how you're feeling about a scene, which is great. Thank you for uh, for sharing these tales of making after love. For anyone that, that has got through this podcast and hasn't seen it, it is readily available on the BFI player. Is there anything you can tell us about that you're working on at the moment, or anything anything that's that's about to hit the screens that that people should be looking out for that you've got a you've got a hand in? Um, yes, I've just finished this feature called Alice Darling, um, which was an absolute mm-hmm. pleasure to be a part of. It was it's directed by Mary Nighy, who it was her first feature. Um, it was absolute. It was an amazing pleasure to work with her. Um, and it's about a woman who is in um, an emotionally abusive relationship. And then um, her friends take her up to the cottage. Um, coincidentally, in Canada, I'm Canadian. And it just happened to be a film set in Canada. Mm. Um, so her friends take her up to the cottage to kind of talk to her about it. And it all kind of comes spilling out about the kind of relationship that she's been in. And then her boyfriend shows up. And oh, yeah, wow. this is good. It's good. It's uh, again, it's sort of a thriller and very emotional and stuff. But uh, incredible performances and uh yeah it's something i'm really proud of so i feel very lucky because i've worked with some real amazing people over the last few years and i continue to do so and i just feel incredibly fortunate to be in this room well look it just gives me to say then thank you very much for giving us your time on the britflix podcast thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.